Hello, and welcome to ECE Tech Talks. I'm Barry Sullivan, ACETA Program Development Director, and with me is John Janowick, ACETA Executive Director. Hello, Hi, John. Hey, Barry. Well, today we're speaking with Steve McLaughlin, Provost and Executive Vice President for Academic Affairs at Georgia Tech. Uh, prior to his current role, Steve has served as Dean of Georgia Tech's College of Engineering and Chair of the ECE Department at Georgia Tech. Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, Barry, thanks a lot. And it's great to see both you and John. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for doing today. I have to say, I'm totally thrilled. And um, I started, a when I was the Dean of Engineering, I started a podcast called The Uncommon Engineer. Um, and it's really? been picked up by a bunch of different places. And so I'm like totally psyched to be Good. on the other side. So, uh, Steve, I, we, we've got a, a few things that we'd like to cover with you, but, um, you know, as we were just chatting a, a minute ago, um, you know, a lot of people go right into uh, uh, an academic career after finishing, you know, graduate school, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but you do have a little bit of a, a more varied background, uh, spending some time in industry and uh, um, I think even uh, interspersed some industry experience with uh, your education. So this, this uh, first topic uh, we want to address uh, about your background as an engineer and how has it pr uh, prepared you for your current leadership role, I think you've got a, maybe a, a little bit more of a varied background uh, than uh, uh, some other folks uh, in your position. Uh, but uh, if you would share with us, uh, we'd love to hear it. Sure. Um, well, I know that we, we cross paths uh, uh, maybe uh, we didn't realize it at, at Northwestern. I went, I went there as an undergrad and, you know, in around Chicago and, um, yeah, it was just really, really lucky. Uh, first of all, as, as a kid, really not having any idea what it is I wanted to study. Um, you know, they got pointed towards engineering, uh, ended up an electrical engineer purely by luck. And I, and I, and I say that, and so then, you know, kind of, you know, through my, through undergrad, not really sure exactly what I wanted to do, ended up at Bell Labs, had a, had a great um, experience there. They paid for my master's degree in a program and ended up staying there a little bit and worked for a consulting firm, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a, you know, was a management consulting firm just because I really sure, wasn't really sure what it is I wanted to do, um, had that experience. And then it's, what's, what's the, a pivotal point was, um, the person I was dating at the time dragged me to this after work tutoring program in Washington, DC. And I did it mostly, honestly, to impress her. Um, and, uh, I, I and, gotta interrupt Steve. How did that work out? Uh, was, um, was she impressed? <laughs> I think so. Um, but, but I, we were tutoring seventh and eighth grade students, uh, that came from disadvantaged backgrounds were getting ready to take a test that would allow them if they did well to go to get into private school. And I just loved the tutoring. I absolutely loved working with students, maybe not seventh and eighth graders. Um, but, and then just thought like, okay, well, how can I turn this? Well, I guess I get my PhD. And then I got, again, that so lucky that, uh, both kind of got to scratch the teaching itch and then fell in love with research. And um, so, and then whatever, some number of years later, you know, here I am. But, but honestly, at each point, you know, I wasn't one of those kids who, who loved, you know, tinkering or whatever. I was just good at math and science. And these two strokes of luck got me, you know, into an academic career. Okay. Well, I that's... guess one, one stroke of luck is trying to impress a, a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I was just kind of curious if uh, if that was a, a first and last date or uh, actually led to uh, a longer term relationship. But we, we don't have to get into that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, but, yeah, give, give, given uh, that background, um, you know, the, the past year has really been, uh, well, to say it's an unusual one is, you know, is a vast understatement. Uh, this whole COVID emergency has, has really uh, caused a lot of, uh, you know, rethinking of the, the way we do a lot of different things. Um, so I guess our, our, our next topic is uh, about lessons learned from the COVID emergency. Yeah. And uh, in a sense, this is kind of a two-parter, um, you know, were there any unexpected positives, uh, even amid a crisis like this? And um, uh, and given that there may have been some positives, so uh, you know, what do you see as maybe some permanent changes, like lessons learned that we can continue continue to apply even once the uh, emergency yeah. has passed? I mean, honestly, tons and tons of positives. Um, I like to think of myself as generally a positive person, so I do tend to view the world through that through that light a, a bit or through that lens. Tons and tons of positives um, and kind of the, the typical things of, of how our community came together in just unbelievable ways. We turned in two weeks, turned 4,000 courses, you know, around. We built our homegrown uh, surveillance testing program. Uh, we now have tested about 260,000 of our employees and students and our incidence rates like 0.06%. I taught it today, like how the community comes together. And rallies around absolutely convinces me we can do anything. We really, truly can do anything. Um, and so there's, and we'll probably get a chance to talk about some of the other challenges in the world. And it just reminds me that if we can find a way to harness that energy, we really, truly, truly can do can do anything. You know, at the more granular level, tons of innovations in the classroom. Um you know, that we're trying to, you know, that we're going to try to harness, you know, uh, post-COVID when, you know, hopefully post-COVID is not too far away, planning for that, um, you know, making use, some some of the online stuff was better than, you know, not just as good as. And so, um, you know, harnessing, harnessing some of those, I think maybe the last thing I'll say um, is, um, it's it's kind of like we think of our, our, our mission as either research or education. Um, but how we saw our maker spaces used and how students and faculty came together and did some really amazing things. Short version is, you know, you've seen people do the face shields. Our design has now been used over 4.5 million times, um, you know, through partnerships. We did some of that ourselves. You know, all, all the, the work we did, we end up building relationships, partnerships, licensing agreements. Next thing you know, we have, you know, real impact. And so it wasn't research. It wasn't education. It's that somewhere in between, you know, like we would call rapid response, and there's a bunch of other kind of examples like that, not only says we can do anything, but it's a really interesting space that I think universities can sit or do sit as, you know, rapid response places. Tons of energy of students, tons of energy of faculty. If we can find things to harness around them, it's um, we're, we're much better community partners than maybe than we've we've realized. So I think that's kind of like we're playing around in that space. Like what what's what's next? What's next in that space that really harnesses 
ability to respond quickly, that you have tons of energy, that we have skills and facilities you know, to do it. So um, tons, tons and tons of positives. So, so Steve, you know, we, we look across all of the um, uh, ECE programs in North America and, you know, it's, it's really, you know, um, a very interesting sort of catbird position to be in, you know, and I, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm not just saying this because I know you and, and you've <laughs> been on our board of directors, but, but honestly, the, the innovation and, and the, the timeliness that we've seen come out of Georgia Tech has, has been impressive. So I, I applaud all the current faculty and, and, and administration and, and your engineering school. They have done an outstanding job. So um, I, I hope, I'm sure you see it uh, being right there, but we see it. Um, you know, uh, through the work that's going on. And, and you know, we appreciate everything that's happened uh, with, with the school and, and, and helping, you know, guide, you know, guide our, our activities. So, you know, th- thanks, for, thanks for your continued participation there. Well, a- a- absolutely. I mean, um, I think um, it's nice. Thanks for saying nice things about, about Georgia Tech. It's a unique place. Um, 75% of our students out of the 41,000 students we have study engineering or computing. So it has a certain can do kind of a, kind of a thing. And, um, you know, uh, I'd like to think some humility and some want to give back and want to, you know, practice practical, candid, uh, uh, skills that we can just bring, bring to bear. And I think that's, I hope that that's our, that's what we're known for. And, um, we're just always here to help. We're engineers. We love to solve problems. We love to find problems, and solve them. And um, as I said, you know, working with the CETA has been uh, really, really fantastic, as I said before. And I, I'm saying this not because you're here, but you know, we said it before that CETA is a, is a very unique organization. There are a lot of organizations out there that try to, you know, bring people together from different places, but ACETA is, is the most effective one that I've been involved with. And so just also want to thank you. The Texas Instruments University program aims to bridge the gap between the worlds of business and academia, bringing real-world engineering concepts to life for thousands of students every year. Discover more about the TI-RSLK-MAX Robotics Program University Power Education Portfolio featuring TI-PMLK Experiment Kits, online learning, and student projects at ti.com university. Well, Steve, I'd like to move on to another very timely topic. Uh, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. This is uh, uh, another uh, area that's you know been uh, um, really brought to the fore. You know, thanks to to recent events. Um, but uh, you know, from your perspective, what's the biggest challenge to diversity, equity, and inclusion for an institution like Georgia Tech? And what can tech and other institutions, other universities, do to combat those challenges? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I, I'm going to kind of pick up where I left off of, you know, previous, you know, a couple minutes ago, I said something like, we can do anything. Um, and you really have to kind of ask the question of, you know, oh, okay, well, is this the right space where we can really gather everybody together and and really do amazing things? And, you know, I think people have been asking that question for decades, um, you know, slow, steady changes in social justice and equity for African-Americans, for LGBTQ community. You know, I think 
I think most people would recognize progress, but that progress is, you know, slow and steady. And, you know, we had the events uh, over the summer that really brought that into focus. I think it brought a renewed sense of, you know, awareness and hopefully a renewed sense of, of commitment. And yet kind of here we are, you know, having really not made as much progress, if I think if we're really honest with ourselves, whether it's us as an institution or whether it's universities as a whole, haven't really made the progress maybe that we we want. And, you know, I, and I'll be specific on a, on a couple of things. Um, and it, you know, just to think about how it is we hire professors, how it is we hire faculty. I describe it as, you know, we we're stuck in the 700 year old model of how it is we hire faculty because even even in you know many universities are 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 more liberally minded right you know on the political spectrum we tend to think them as more liberal than conservative and so if that's true even in engineering among our faculty but yet when we come to this place of hiring people we go back to this really traditional model i you know, here's the typical conversation hey what area do we want to hire in okay so we just take this huge space and we shrink it down. Um, and then we focus on one of five or eight or 10 or 15 institutions. And that somehow, somehow we have these preconceived ideas because of the 700 year system we've lived in, that it's really, we're going to focus on these, you know, 10 or 15 institutions, because that's where only the best people come from. And it's really like in this environment where we think that we're open and, and we're tolerant and um, we consider all pins, yet we we zero in on what is like the most restrictive way of 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 hiring. And so, you know, we're trying to. So, I think in many ways, it's time for disruption uh, in that space. Disruption and how it is we think, um, particularly around faculty. So, so that's a big one for us. Uh, you know, faculty hiring, diversity, equity, inclusion. I'll add one more, but. I, I could go on for a while. I, I'll kind of switch to how it is we educate uh, students. More importantly, how it is we educate, you know, engineers, whether we think about topics like, you know, uh, sexism, racism, gender, power, the kinds of topics that were, you know, very much front of front of mind this, this past summer, right? Those are topics that, so all of our, vast majority of our students are going to be employees, you know, at a company, even if we just take that purely practical approach, all, all of our students are going to be in the, are going to be confronted with those issues. And yet we really, I'm not aware of any significant effort um, in, in engineering education to say, how are we teaching those topics? I know there's some, some, you know, some emerging areas and, and, and folks that are trying to address this. And this is when I was Dean of Engineering, I, I challenged our programs to say, how are, you know, we teach for ABET, we teach things like ethics and we teach how to read spec sheets and we do all these things. But these topics, um, we do very, very little, if anything at all. We leave that to a student taking, uh, you know, um, an optional course in social science humanities that maybe or on gender or around race relations or social justice. So how it is we begin to bring fold those kinds of topics, much less just diversity and inclusion into engineering education. I, I'm, I'm sure you're going to see more of it, but I think we just have to be completely honest with ourselves that we're not, we're not taking that as seriously as, as we should. And it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, the liberal agenda 
taking over. It's the reality of the work environment at a minimum and the society that every single one of our graduates um, is going to be part of. So you see, I, you got me going. That's good. No, no, you're, I'm, I'm glad, Steve, that, that uh, you know, you have such passion for this because quite honestly, um, it's, it's the key to our future, you know, as, as, you know, not, not as a discipline, but as a society, you know, that, that we, we all, you know, invest heavily in, in, in equity and inclusion. And, and, you know, we're, we're doing, I think um, we're trying to do our part within the ACETA organization, uh, you know, uh, we've had to postpone and, and the last two conferences. So, you know, we've, we've decided this year to have quarterly summits. We had our first quarterly summit in December, which was really focused on, you know, getting through, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the curriculum and, and not, not only, uh, you know, the, the curriculum, but also the labs, you know, and, yeah. you know, during COVID, you know, that's been very challenging, but, the March summit, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, is 100% dedicated on on uh, you know diversity, inclusion, and equity, and and so um, you know it's it's it, it's something that you know that all institutions need to really begin to work on. And and you're right, there is not any sort of uniform curriculum or or programming that we're preparing our students for, you know, uh, because I think uh, um, it, it's been, you know, it, it hasn't been, it hasn't risen to the level of importance. And it's, and to be honest with you, in some cases, it's been a little bit of a taboo uh, right. topic and, 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 and it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be front and center right now. And so I'm, I'm proud of what's happening within Nasita. So, you know, it's good to hear your passion. I mean, kudos to you all. And I would love to hear if there's a way to kind of capture some of the, cause there are best practices that I'm sure are emerging. Um, you know, one of our other cha- challenges, you know, for us, a huge number of our engineering programs are already at 132 credit hours, which is already well more than is needed for an engineering education. And so, like, how how we just even simply, so, so it really, from my perspective, becomes, you know, not creating a new course that every student has to take. It's kind of finding ways to integrate those ta- those subjects into uh, into our existing uh, courses, and I'm sure there are best practices that are emerging. And so, I'd love to see, um, you know, the out the output from that because I bet you do have a handful, if not more, programs that are taking this very, very seriously and beginning to try some things. Well, we'll, no, that, we'll, we'll definitely share that. Yeah, and I think that's a great perspective, Steve. That um, you know, en- engineering's en- engineers are not apart from society; they're a part of society. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what you're suggesting there is uh, this should not be something, you know, like a, uh, an add on to the curriculum, but it should be integrated into the curriculum. Uh, yeah. I think that really underscores that that whole philosophy. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, there's a lot, a lot of the conversation around ethical AI and, you know, bias, bias and algorithms, you know, you know, we are the algorithms, y'all, you know, we are the algorithms. And I think that that just goes to the everything you just said, John, around, um, you know, it, it, it's it's not a, it's not an issue of the liberal left bringing that agenda into it. It's the change in dem- demographics. It's ethical AI. It's getting this stuff right. Yep. Yep. OK, well, uh, this has been a, a great conversation. Uh, Steve, thanks. Great. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, John. Great to connect thanks, with you. Steve.
I want to thank everyone uh, for joining us today for uh, ECE Tech Talks. We'd also like to thank Texas Instruments for sponsoring today's episode. Join us next time for another great conversation with thought leaders in ECE.